0: Hey, Darren, I'm watching the best show on television. You want to know what it is? What is it? I think I know, but what is it? Inglorious Trexperts.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you're thinking what to yourself, what wait a you second, that's not say. a TV
0: show. But it t- is. But it is. It, it is. is. It's a TV show because you can watch us on the Electric Now app. It's an app for streaming video podcasts as well as movies, television, and more. You can see us on demand on electric. Now I demand it. I demand it because I demand it. <laughs> Commodore stone can watch us on the electric now app. And how do you get the electric now app? Because apparently people are having trouble understanding the concept. Just go to your app store from whatever device you're using or all of the devices you're using. And you download it to your phone, your iPad, your Roku, your whatever, whatever you, whatever you, whatever you have that streams other than a ViewMaster. you download it. And, and then you watch it hundred percent free. There's no charge, there's no Patreon, there's no Electronic Frontier. All there is is a free app. So download the Electric Now app from your favorite app store and watch us on Electric Now. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of the only gentleman secret agent with a license to kill and thrill, you should pick up my new James Bond oral history, Nobody Does It Better, available now in hardcover, audio and digital wherever books are sold. Do you expect me to read? No, I expect you to buy it. Need to make a call? Look for a police call box. That's where you'll find Two on Who, the new Doctor Who podcast from Electric Surge. Two on Who is available wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: And welcome back to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. I am your co-host, Josh Miller, and with me, as always, is the man, the legend, Mr. Steven Scarlatta.
3: How are you doing today, Josh?
2: I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself?
3: Right on. All good.
2: Uh, and we're very excited because we have on two guests that we've been trying to find get on here for a while, but they're very busy, and it's... Uh, You know, the audio quality of these quarantine episodes always sort of suck. The nice thing is it's much easier to get guests because nobody has to take the day off work and drive all the way to our studio and we ho. But our guests today are Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan.
4: Hello, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. Hello, how are
2: you? Good to be here. You're good, and you probably know them. Uh, I mean, you guys, not one, not two, but three franchises that you are responsible for. You've written, it's four Saw sequels, right? Yes. My friend, that, and, and you mm-hmm. created two other ones, all three Feast movies, and mm-hmm. I guess probably the one uh, closest to your hearts, or at least Marcus's hearts, the, you call it the Collector series, right? Yes, yep. Collector and, and, and the uh, Collection is the yep. sequel, yep, um, which Mark is directed. Uh, and actually, I was at Fantastic Fest when the Collection screened.
4: Hey, bless your heart, man. That was a that was an important and a wonderful night on many uh, different reasons. There was a friend there, and he was with uh, another one of his buddies, and they took time out of their night to come see that same screening. And our, our buddy was nervous because he had a movie coming out uh, in, in a subsequent Friday. And, you know, he wasn't sure. And he let me just watch the opening scene alongside the director. And it was a, uh, a family with hoods over their heads and nooses. And then this branch drops and they're all hanging. And he slapped me in the chest and goes, that's what Chris Cargill said that's my nightmare brother and (laughs) scott erickson was going okay if we can bring up the volume a little bit we're good and that was the 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 night sinister crept into the world
2: oh wow
4: it was so neat and but what matters is like when you when you look at what you guys instantly have is a supportive nature and the the tough thing about personally for me acknowledging something called the greatest movies never made is this is traumatizing this is all this is but maybe this is also as your email put it a bit of therapy you know wrapped in there because you you imagine something perfect otherwise you wouldn't dare speak it write it try to execute it cast it and that's how fate happens and i just i loved that someone's night of creation chris cargill's and scott's chris still went and supported us and that was awesome uh, and that's, that really was what Fantastic Fest represented to us because they gave us our first intro with, with Feast. We were the premiere of Fantastic Fest number one. And, uh, oh, I was, didn't
2: realize that that
4: yes, that was the very first one. Yep. And it was Wolf Creek was put on the marquee and we were not. <laughs> Wolf Creek had a poster and we didn't have one. So I actually paid our friend James Aikum to shoot a poster for Feast. And, and put you know anything on there because we were we, we were kind of being uh shuffled off to a, a a different coil not necessarily mortal but definitely not it was supposed to be a Wolf Creek weekend and then the reviews for feast came in and all of a sudden we had a theatrical commitment uh, however really cool. tiny it was it was it was really cool
2: Well and let's actually take a step back um, it's funny because a lot of this stuff to me feels like obvious knowledge everybody knows but that's as I Increasingly get older, you know, you start to realize that some of these things are creeping up on 20 years old. We just had Eduardo Sanchez on, yes. and I think of like all the Blair Witch marketing stories as the most famous things you can think of. But I think younger people mm-hmm. don't know it at all or only know it in a vague sense. But let's talk a little bit about Project Greenlight, yes, because as a, a guy who loves genre films, you know, and like. Project Greenlight started like right when I came out of film school. And I guess for people who don't know um, it, at all, Project Greenlight was this reality series created by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon using some of their kind of back when they were more indie guys. I guess Ben Affleck's dipped back into it again now that he's become a director. But, you know, when they were coming off Goodwill hunting Oscar win, yes. and there's Indie Darlings and they created a reality series that was kind of plucking filmmakers. It was plucking writers and director and putting them together to make a movie and they did three seasons and then i guess did a fourth one a few years ago but as a genre guy it felt very vindicating to me that they were doing these like artsy fartsy indie movies that like just weren't good and no one they didn't make any money no one seemed to give them good reviews and then it was it felt like they finally gave up and they're like because you know the weinsteins were producing it and they're like let's just do something we can sell and season three they had your guys movie feast and then it spawned two Mm -hmm. sequels so
4: well, that's exactly what happened. They did not choose us. It was forced upon them. And to impersonate Bob, what Bob said, we did your coming-of-age movie, we didn't make any money. We did another coming-of-age movie, we didn't make any money. We're gonna kill the kid and make a monster movie, and we're gonna make some money, okay? <laughs> and,
2: well, and how did you guys, like, what's your origin story that led up to Project Greenlight?
4: Absolute. Luck, good fortune, and friendship. Like I'm lucky to know Patrick since uh, the University of Iowa, where we both went. We were both movie projectionists uh, at, oh wow, theater, so like handling prints and wearing fake tuxedos. And if he worked at the Palace Theater, so they got like Independence Day and Twister, and we'd get, uh, I we had train spotting, truth about cats and dogs, but we'd get like Face Off, you know. And then <laughs> if one theater was running low on popcorn, uh, the other one of us could run big bags, and that's how we got to know each other, and also. Patrick always had a passion for writing, and 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 pushing like into the dark specifically. It wasn't just somebody who was writing and you're going to try to force something there. No, I would I was spilling fake blood and whatnot, and I really liked studying the the vintage filmmaking process that University of Iowa offered. You shot on film, you shot with World War II cameras, you shot, you cut your own negative, and it taught you quite a discipline of of how much coverage to shoot because at what, $100 of processing just to get that reel back? That was about eight shifts at that movie theater. You had to know what you were doing. And it was kind of cool that we could both thread up, watch these absolute finished productions, see these trailers and start to learn as we did. Because if the film broke, you'd have to splice it. Just like the next day, you might have to splice your own to show in the class. And so uh, really it's, it's a credit to, I mean, Pat's my friend. I'm am d- lucky I get to work with him.
3: That's awesome. That's how it's-
4: yeah. So we graduated from Iowa,
1: and then I came out first uh, about a year before him. and Then he came out, and then it was like we were out for howdy for a while. And we went and how feast came about was like it was we want to make a you know do you remember like when it came out everyone's like how do you make a million dollar movie? It's got to be a million dollars, million dollars. And so okay, limited location, limited characters, uh, and High concept. And so ours was bar in the middle of nowhere, a bunch of like riffraff, like, you know, you know, Motley Crue type people. And then someone kicks in the door and says, there's monsters outside. and This is one of them. And get ready. And so that that was the start of it. And, you know, we, we intended to write something that was a million dollars. And I don't know if you remember on the show, it was budgeted, budgeted as t- at twenty five million <laughs> <laughs> um, so part of the part of the process was uh-huh. whittling, whittling it down to something that was manageable and oh. we got it to 3.5 and the maloofs came in and got it to like four or something yes. and got the premiere as part of it which was it was awesome though because like keep in mind that for project greenlight it's it's we were i was reading scripts marcus was working at blockbuster yep. and then suddenly they gave us you know thirty five thousand dollars <laughs> to split, to split which was like an unbelievable amount of money and um they are making a move which is the most important thing which is all your podcast is all about right not making the movie they're making the movie and then uh they put us on tv so we were suddenly recognizable and um can you
4: I, know can it I jump into things that i think there's one big part where i was working and, and giving out screening passes to the battle of shaker heights pat calls it's like, hey, my wife heard something on the radio. They're taking submissions for Project Greenlight season three, and they are entertaining the idea of doing something outside the coming of age genre. And Boy. so if it wasn't for Eben Laura Melton hearing that radio spot, oh, yeah. sharing it with her husband, sharing it with a dude wearing khakis and trying to get people to see Battle of Shaker Heights in oh. uh, off the Panga Canyon exit in Woodland Hills.
1: Marcus had his own shelf. It was like really.
4: It was a good shelf,
1: man. Really
4: good. <laughs> i appreciative of that opportunity.
1: Somebody probably remembers that. like, oh dude, that Marcus guy was great.
4: He had a wonderful, great selection. Like really. There's one customer I really want to run into again. And I think I may just have the chance. And, and it's because, I don't know. Uh, Taylor Hawkins, the drummer of the Foo Fighters. He'd come in and we would talk. Now, do I expect this guy to pick me out of a lineup? No, he might remember it, though. You know, you know, like you might. You never know. But we'd have, probably think, yeah, yeah. Because I was just starting to grow my hair out, and he came in with, and was all cool. And he'd have the the his posture at the counter was he'd grab something. And one night I saw him go over to the my employee picks wall, and I believe he pulled Frequency movie Frequency. I think it was that comes up, good one. and then he's like this, and he's like, "Is this good?" <laughs> 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 it's, a, it's like, like dude it's surprisingly good will scare my girl you know <laughs> like something like that like yes but it's 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 gonna make you cry dude me like trust me bro you're and like
2: he, do you like jim caviezel's string theory <laughs> thrillers <laughs> yeah, yeah, <exactly. laughs> like it's
4: my favorite yeah. I do. well and at the <laughs> world drinks our, our dear friend and a brilliant filmmaker bj mcdonald is right now directing a movie starring the foo fighters I am, un, uh, I am not allowed to visit the set because of COVID. But I thought like, uh, oh, Marcus has it. So that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then to circle even back further, John Gulliger, uh, when he was making ends meet before directing Feast, he would shoot uh, wedding videos. But he would use film, Super 8 film and, get, and beautiful. And this one wedding he did, the guy was like, you ever need a favor, give me a ring. And his name was Dave Grohl. So the first time I met Dave Grohl, I was watching the back of his head watch Feast as he was pantomiming what would be like the drum soundtrack because John wanted to ask him if he could give like a drum bass line to to measure the attack of the creatures, give the whole thing a tone, like a a real harsh rock tone. Um, the, The concert touring schedule and the output ultimately, I don't know how that deal dissipated or whatnot, but the great thing was... There's this dude who's given us a soundtrack to our lives that Guliger did, and as, and at the end, he's with. I, I think he may brought his. That's life. what he looks like from behind. Yeah, totally. Oh. You guys are fucked up. <laughs> 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 it was awesome. <laughs> so I, I, that that was that was that was really really cool. And then there was one other thing I wanted to bring up that our first draft, uh, it's it's something that was like. In anything unique about our actual backgrounds or lineage was beaten out of us and written out of us so fast. The original Feast location was the United Nations Tavern. Patrick Melton is uh, part Choctaw, Native American. Our lead uh, actress, Navi Rawat, also Native American. And all those characters had names. She was Brit Mohica, And you know, I my fam is you know up Iron Range, Minnesota, so we're mostly like-
2: I'm from Minnesota too,
4: as oh, is Robin my Cole. writing partner. So there you go. So like we're, you know, my family's pretty much an Ikea store with some Irish sprinkled in and, <laughs> and then we've got this. So it was neat to kind of bring all, all of that into the fold. And then as the development process, we every no or every can you take that out? We don't want to be so specific. We'd come up with some anarchy way of saying, well, then why don't we just call her what she is, heroin and that guy's <laughs> hero. And it was like, actually, that haven't seen that before. Cool. And then we, yeah. we, we
1: had I mean,
4: something to, the, to work with. You know, you guys know this, too.
1: Like, the, the first, like, there's something you wrote at some point in your life and you look back and now you're like, I didn't know, like, I was so stupid and naive and arrogant to do something like that. Like, like, and you can never do it now. Like, you would never do it now just because you've been so conditioned to, like, do things a certain yeah. way and, and, and you'd be told that that's ridiculous. We can't do that. And so that entire movie was like, was filled with that. of. <laughs> 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 okay, one thing I
2: will interject for our listeners, and I, I apologize. Uh, my brain's always much mushier in our recorded-at-home uh, episodes than in our studio. Uh, so we're going to be talking with these guys about a lot of different projects. I'd say kind of the two tentpole things we're going to get to is at some point we're going to hit upon your God of War uh, mm-hmm. draft, and then we're going to end with your Halloween Returns. Uh, script just so to get that out there for the listen so they're okay. not like what well, are we well, going to be talking about here of
3: your, I'm sorry I was a big fan of your season of Project Greenlight it was actually it was very it, it was very inspiring because I at the time I dropped out of film for a little while and I was working at the Santa Anita racetrack then when, when yours was airing, it was like very inspiring and I remember you guys got signed while you're on the show too. And then you guys also like scored a, like quick uh, Highlander right? during the show. Oh yeah.
2: oh yeah. oh yeah. And we, we
3: <laughs> Highlander the source during the shoot. Yeah, and, yeah. That was, I mean, uh,
2: uh, for those who have never seen the show, uh, it is by far the best season, I think, mm-hmm. just as far as the combo of all the reality show shenanigans because that was always kind of the problem with the show just inherently is that you want to make a good movie in theory, but you also want it to be a disaster because then the reality shows better. Um, And I felt like yours, yours guys had a nice balance of the two and then yielded a movie that people actually liked.
4: I will say it was not without a fight and it was not without locking arms. Um, to, To give you the headline on that was you'd think that you're watching Melton and I get the Willy Wonka moment and that's entirely how it went. Um, but we also concussively lost four family members in a row at oh. the start of this, you know? And Never show- mentioned on the show. No. <laughs> the reality show did. Like, they they're like,
1: our- where's that Dunstan kid? Gone again. <laughs> exactly. Big what- shot.
4: The reality show producers shot our empty chairs in B-roll and said that we'd gotten too big in our heads to participate anymore. Yeah.
3: Wow. Oh, and it was really? Mike-,
4: Mike Leahy, Joel Swasson, Chris Moore all locked arms and said no. And because they are given cards with little bits of dialogue to help bridge the gaps. So then we're looking for the writers and they're just about town. And they already had pre-cut us walking in and out like we were having a good time. And That's when I learned the golden rule. Like don't wear sunglasses or hold coffee if you're ever on a reality show. Because it it doesn't matter if you really need the coffee or if you've even just had an eye appointment. You're an instant (laughs) D-bag. There's no way a camera doesn't tell you. D-bag, you know? Yeah. But if you're squinting and covered in sweat and just got your ass kicked, they won't film you at all. That's a yeah. better outcome.
3: <laughs> I, I, I thought it was very inspiring seeing all that happen to you guys. I thought it was really awesome. Because I I, I mean, I was like genuinely happy for you guys because I was a horror fan and... You know, and it was, it was it was yeah, like Josh said, it was a great season, and it was a, it was the only Project Greenlight movie I watched when it Well, came that, was the that, was that was when then the show ended. That
2: was the weird irony.
1: Is that well, you
3: know you, know, you know, it helped
1: to, it helped it helped that like uh, the the two main producers were like it's Mike Leahy, Joel Swanson, and they they just weren't they're, they're such normal down to earth mm-hmm. genre guys like they were they and they know how to make movies for nothing. So like like it's funny because we saw the movie recently, not recently, but like a year, two years ago or something. And I just I, I'd been waiting for a while. And I couldn't believe h- how many different like periods of shooting were put together to make that one movie. Like where it's like where because we were shooting and then we we yeah, I mean, we, we shot we had like seventy percent of a movie and then like dimension and left. Remember the whole break up from Disney. Disney. And then, so we had this like five months where nothing was happening, but Gulley would keep shooting and Mike Leahy and Joel Joel Sassone would figure out how to get money. And we were shooting on the roof, we were shooting in alleys, like just little stuff that you need in a movie like this.
4: And the reality show, remember Pat, the reality show was running out of budget. Yeah. They just were like, we got to, we we don't just, we're not in the business of making a middle, like we need the ending. (laughs) Yeah. And, 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 well,
1: they were like, everyone in that process was like like uh nick phillips was like the the studio executive and he's just like i don't know if you guys know him he's been around doing he does other stuff now and he's fantastic just a re- okay. really normal down-to-earth guy and he was just so dedicated just making a movie and like
4: make fun of his beard though if you can yeah <laughs> uh but,
1: I but would... so, so, so it, it was a, a fortunate series of um you know accidents that put it to make the the movie ultimately good because if you remember we did the show and then it was a long time later that the movie came out and it was still shooting the entire time well shooting 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 shooting.
2: and that's a good segue because one thing that i mean comes up time and again on the show is that once you get like a little bit of heat that's when you start racking up the unmade movies first. Um, <laughs> yes. because you get it, you know, you, people offer you things, you get a chance to pitch your take on things. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Steve, uh, correct me if you've got something earlier, and obviously you guys jump in earlier. Um, I want to build up to your, your Hellraiser treatment, but we have something before Ooh. that, which is we found um, a press release saying that you guys were going to be doing a remake of the William and Castle classic, The Tingler.
1: Oh yeah, the tinkler, yeah, dude. That we was, had an awesome draft.
4: It was real. It was very, very. I mean, it, oh, man, that one allowed us to do some of the twist and tricks of who you think is going to make it or not, and it was a it was a really cool experience. And uh, the one thing I, I would say we learned from that was when we went in to pitch that one, our first pitch was completely different than what we ended up writing, but it was. The fact that it couldn't be put into a corner, we still had that 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 perfect calibration of naivete, so you could say anything, and you might yeah. come up with that one <laughs> thing that makes it special, and eighty percent has to be, you know, raked away. But the stuff that survived from the every idea in our head passed. I I, I really I really enjoyed it. Uh, well,
2: uh, and uh, you don't have to go into crazy detail, but what was that take? Like, if that had gotten made, what was that tingler?
4: So. Uh, I'm glad you said that tingler because a uh, uh, wonderful <laughs> author novelist Daniel Krause when uh, when we were writing it He he sent a message and he was like you gotta have someone say like Vincent Price did that tingler <laughs> <laughs> Get hold of that tingler we'll have it And so our thing was like getting down to the science of fear how it's triggered how you can control it And and then making it something uh, based in tissue something a bit more viscous so if The fear mechanism rose like fahrenheit and you got it up to the top and could pluck it well then where's the fear go but the fear being made of tissue is now in orbit of all of us so these jars would then as soon as you get near it would take the form of something that absolutely horrified you so, it could break if you thought of something too big for the jar, boom, jar breaks. And now a uh, skin, skinless spiders walking down the halls of the, of the hallway trying to cure all these terrified folks. And they're looking out the window now more scared than ever. That was fun.
3: Oh, wow.
1: So, do you want to know briefly what happened? So in one sentence, I can yeah. wrap it up. Yeah, there you go. So it's a monster movie. It was for big Sony, not like... Uh, Neil Moritz was going to be producing it, right? He, he produced it and, and he, he loved it because his mom loved it and my my mom saw it too. And if you remember in the, in the theaters, it had the vibrating seats and the lights would go out and the movie would stop. And that, it was a total great little gimmick. And so we tried to tie that stuff in there in a really fun way. Monster movie. And then, um, you know, we turned it into the studio and we're uh, just like, and what are we supposed to do with this? And cause you learn, you know, in the horror genre you learn so quickly. Um, everyone likes the idea of a horror movie the weekend after some horror movie opens to $40 million. And then months and months later when they buy one and then they read it, they just, they shrug and say, oh, we can't do that. And that's what happened. It was like a very fast and abrupt death. If we would have had like, let's just say if we would have like some, and we learned this definitely Along the way, if you had if we had some, you know, super hot like director or some producer on board that could have pushed it through because you could have made it for twelve million dollars, whatever. We could have probably done that. But without that, it's so hard to do stuff like that at a studio. Right? Oh,
4: And Joe Lynch, we 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 really pushed Joe Lynch uh, because the Wrong Turn Two would come out. We had love for that. Henry Rollins, you know, was the carryover. It was almost like he was a, a, a weaponized version of Henry Rollins and Joe's vision, and he, he did some cool stuff. And Joe put together a beautiful pitch for it that was harkening back to the grandeur of of like Brainstorm and how he was going to go into it. And and it's it's one of those where I'm sure he's got some things where it, you know, seeing his art, seeing what he was going to bring, that was it, it's just one of those like ah, what could have been?
1: I guess executive indifference.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Was that? Uh, did we skip over anything, or was that kind of your first big uh,
1: well, swing no, and a no.
2: miss, as you'd put it?
1: Oh my gosh, uh, me. How many days? Problem? Prob- yeah, yeah. I me. Mean, I, yeah, the source. The, our our problem is that a lot of the crap we wrote actually got made, <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: like the source Highlander Five. <laughs> um, no, so yes, that that was okay. This that would be included as one of the bigger. Bigger movies I did not get, made.
2: but it, but uh, and Steve, I can already see your face. I feel like you were maybe about to bring it up. Oh no, I,
3: I, the the other stuff I have doesn't start until 2010. I have a oh, because I was
2: going to say in that same article, uh, with the Tingler on it, uh, they mentioned Midnight Man, which I think Marcus was going to be that's, your... That's
1: that's the, that's the collector.
2: Oh, that's what that turned into. Oh, I didn't yeah, know that. Changed, we
4: just changed the title. Okay. Yeah, so we, we sold it as. Well, that's the nice. Man. So there's
2: a success story yeah. in that same yeah, article, then.
4: Yes. yes. Yep. So that was cool. I mean, one became uh, a franchise. We're still shooting, you know. And the other one, a you know, ah. But that that type of salve definitely heals the wound.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. well, wait, awesome. wait, this this podcast is called "All the Bullshit You Guys Have Made," right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> All <Okay>. the shit. <laughs> um. Well, then that Pretty. leads up to because I feel, uh, uh, I guess, just
3: for that people, leads not, us to in the, <laughs>
2: not in the industry. Uh, one thing I've definitely noticed is that anybody who comes within the orbit or came within the orbit of Bob Weinstein and Dimension Films, uh, at some point, because Dimension owned the rights to Hellraiser, but it's one of those deals where they had to make a movie every so many years or they did they'd lose the rights. And they maybe have finally lost that. I'm not quite. I've kept up on it, but that also just means that there's just like any horror filmmaker who came across mm-hmm. Dimension's path inevitably. I feel pitched to take for a Hellraiser movie, and you guys uh, are not excluded from that.
4: Well, but I was yeah. a little different. I wanted to shoot the Collector on film, and so 72 hours before uh, this was Bob's brainchild. Hey, get the guys to write a draft of Hellraiser. And in exchange, I'll uptick your collector budget so you can shoot film. I took that deal and ran. Uh, that, that meant the world to me. And then, and then the one night Bob visited our set, it was cool. We were, you know, putting together uh, a one house with a basement, but shooting in Shreveport, Louisiana meant you needed to have three houses to create a single normal-ish house, you know, without a high yeah. water. T- so we were shooting in the basement of a law firm that had a brick basement. And he came in and was like, "Great!" And then he's like, "Come on out here!" And I'm thinking I'm gonna get an Attaboy, and he's like, "So, we need to start in Pompeii. I'm getting money from somewhere else. Like, oh, what? And like, oh, you're
1: talking about Hellraiser? It's like you I, gotta, you gotta do the Bob voice. That's not you gotta bring it. Watch bring it all
4: the way. Watch all the way. This. We start in Pompeii. Everything's going to
1: shit. Uh, pin it." <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's uh, with him. That's always what it what, what it was like. So Marcus didn't even tell us. So we were trying to shoot on film. We had no money. We were the fifth of the fifth of five movies ever being made in Shreveport, Louisiana. It was like Feast Two, Pulse Two, Feast Three, Pulse three oh and the Midnight Man, and the and there was the same crew the entire time mm-hmm. in Shreveport, Louisiana. So by the fifth movie, people like. Fuck this, we're out of here. So we were like, we were just like, everyone was on the end and me and Marcus were like, yay, we're making a movie, like so excited. I was like, dude, you guys need to chill and so it's like we're shooting on film and they're like we had like like the first video what was the it was like the f or uh, the 700 what was that camera it, it, it was, well it was like the first video camera ever it was. And, and, it was like, on it. and they were like "This digital stuff's great and we were like no 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 marcus is the snob let's go back to the beginning and he was like i'm shooting on film 16 super
4: 16 is gonna be awesome but yeah, you never know well, 20, well plus right? i needed to be nimble i was i i we didn't have a budget to build a set like feet oh, because the camera. The, our first the night was, was the, like, the conversation in the back of a car. That camera wouldn't yeah. fit in the car. It was, a, it was like a couch, like like yeah. you know. You
2: had one of those like old Hollywood cameras that yeah. it was encased <laughs> in like a crate because it made so much <laughs> right. noise.
4: Right. And so mention, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't know what I, I knew where digital had some soft footing where where sometimes it could blow out fire. And fire and whatnot, and with elements uh, having uh, being stuck to cables. And I was back in Iowa, and I was like, "This I know. This I know that what a hundred bucks of processing means. So, give me the World War II tools. I'll still make this movie. I don't. I don't need luxury. So, Just give me so, this." It so was shooting Monday, Friday at like four uh,
1: thirty. It's I, I get a call in the cell, and I think I had a flip phone that I still had from Project Greenlight, yep. and it was like, it, and this is all it's it, anyone who's worked with Dimension is very exciting. It's like uh, Bob Weinstein calling, you know, like oh shit. He's like, <clears throat> gets on pause. <clears throat> so I hear you want to use film, <laughs> <laughs> just and it was always like a threat maybe a question or just a statement <laughs> and it was he was making a deal and it was like yeah you guys can shoot on film so you need an extra so-and-so how about you do a, a razor uh, razor draft mm-hmm. and did you guys him, actually I mean,
2: write the draft yeah uh, oh. no, no okay so i was going say we, <laughs> okay. we found a treatment has... for it
1: yes yeah, well right. there, was, there was well first it was said uh, there was several treatments the first thing he wanted to do he wanted to do he wanted to like get back at Guillermo for something and he, so he wanted to do like Hell, uh, was Hell, the Hellraiser version of Hellboy was because I think Hellboy had just come come out this is a trend of like I just saw a movie and you're like oh boy so it was supposed to be like a big I wonder a treatment you guys read because we because the first one we did was like a big movie and it was about like I was all sorts of stuff it was huge it was like 75 million dollars just ridiculous And then that, and then you know, you turn that in, and then Bob forgets that he hired you, and he finally reads it, and then his poor assistants have to remind him that he hired you, and it's a guaranteed contract, so he has to give notes. And then we did a more stripped down, like teens in peril version, which that's the one I think
3: we have. Yeah, that's what we have. Well, I'm curious,
1: what was
2: was the super? Because the one we have, uh, just in the simplest form, it does begin with, uh, I think it begins in China and there's a (laughs) volcano. And mm -hmm, there's more like a professor who has the box and he tricks the students into making wishes and you find out that he made a deal with Pinhead to like bring him victims so he can build an army to go (sighs) take over heaven, which would be a sequel and doesn't happen, so Uh that's the. Uh
1: That that's when you're starting to implement notes and your enthusiasm is dropping. And it was yeah, it's got to be about kids. And and we were like, it's hold on, it's Hellraiser. It's like a S and M movie. Uh, It's really about like sex and you know pleasure versus pain. And he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. So here's what it's gonna be. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, whatever. Okay. And so you just you know you try to make it work. And um, the first version was better. Then I think we did that one, and then. I don't know there might have been one after that and then how we learned we weren't writing hellraiser anymore was in the trades It was announced the guy who did martyrs was doing hellraiser.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah to, re- to rewind back for a second. Um, yeah So it looks like it was announced in 2006 that they were gonna remake hellraiser and then in mm-hmm. 2007 the guys who did inside, uh, yes moray and Bustelio. So did you guys Uh, were you guys hired to write like their version by any chance before you You were before that Uh, no Uh,
4: no no no, no, i read one that that uh and we we did not take from anything uh uh, if i'm remembering the right draft because i actually it was it was a screen it was a treatment
1: we read it i remember yeah and it was it it was it was big though it 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 was was also big and it it had you good it was big it was like it was about it was about i mean it was vicious it was like mm-hmm. bloody it was it was about i believe it was it was about pinhead like how the, the origin of pinhead and it had the nazi stuff in it and yeah. you know just got it was more elaborate um and i don't know exactly
4: why they didn't want to do that it, it, that there was there's no, a pattern with Bob I, I, I remember where, it was the severity there, there was, it a was just steam. too extreme well, meaning there was a scene at the it was pretty wild that I that we shouldn't share because it really is just like, dude, you say this wrong and you're just like burned. <laughs> uh, but it was it, I remember even reading it, going like, uh, every okay, larger banner. If your job is to think of the worst case scenario for entertainment purposes, there's I there's got to be a line in all of us for like that type of story. I don't is that just letting more evil into the world and not let (laughs) anybody process their anxiety out? Whereas a anatomically correct monster, you know, puking on Judah Friedlander. That's fine. Let the monster (laughs) laugh with Judah. You know what I mean? But this, this had some images that I thought, like, Oh God, it just, it it conjured something that I, uh, that I just, Oh, there was darkness to it.
2: If you're hiring the guys who did inside.
4: Yeah.
1: yeah, Yeah. Exactly. But, do you, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, but you know, what it is sometimes you get like, like Bob was, he's really, he's really smart. and He knows a lot of movies and he's really good at brainstorming in the moment. But his problem is that he stretched too thin and then he'll forget what you were brainstorming about the next time you talk about it. And he, and he'll almost like react as if that's complete nonsense. And so that I think that's why people will get frustrated with him, where it's like, but dude, we were like totally riffing on that and we were good. And then, you'd come back the next time and it's like, Oh no, it's not that version. It's a completely different version. <laughs> then you're like, Ugh. and then people, you know, after a while.
2: Well, so what, what was like, uh, cause you put that perfectly too of that you keep getting these notes and your enthusiasm excitement starts to go away and it just becomes like a job that you eventually want to be out of. But what was that first, the one that was too expensive that you guys were excited about? Oh, uh, for Hellraiser! How would you describe that one? It began with a volcano. I'm assuming.
4: Uh, way anyway, it did have some bigness, but it was it was more of a. Uh, it was just more adult and harrowing, and 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 you know, meaning like to to justify the spend and really looking at what he was loving in Golden Army, the the Hellboy sequel, was it was a bigger universe. It wasn't just the blood. It wasn't just the twist. It it was really kind of expanding a bigger universe that that would have been neat. it was yeah. like a rated r marvel movie you know
1: yeah i mean it was it was it was about a pinhead usurping the devil Mm-hmm. that's Which what is was. And it, i
4: think there's gas and, and it, was a, it was a
1: trick it was a trick like he was the smartest guy in the room and he thought he you know and but the actual story um gosh i barely remember it, it was there, there was like a narrative that seemed you know of the usual um hellraiser uh ilk and then the big twist of it all was that it was all a trick by, um, he thought, by Pinhead. And um, there was these cool scenes where he was like, he was like, he was like, he was like, he was like remember he would, he would take, he, would have, he had to, to, to stay in our world. He had figured out he'd stay in the world, but he had to take these bath, he had to bathe in blood. And like he would take these baths and like mm-hmm. and like, people would be hanging above the bathroom. Again, like you can't, you know, Hellraiser was made because it was Clive's story. It was Clive directing. He had cert- he had some cachet, so he had money. He was able to do what he wanted to do. Like that's the only way these movies get made, right? Like if, what I was just pitching, people were like, are well, you can you can't you could never have done that, <laughs> right? And that's the problem. And we were doing that, and then it had this big scale, and like an angels came down to because you know it was all sorts of like, it, and but it was Clive shit. Like it was like he 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 was into this stuff. Like we were. Remember, we were meeting. We were we were all meeting together. It was us. And, it was, it was oh, us you were and meeting we with Clive. Yes, oh, we were at Clive's. We went because we were at Clive's house, and like Darren Bowson was involved with it, and like um, and and Clive mean Clive's house. It's 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 as amazing as you can imagine. It's like we were young, pretty young at the time, and he, and it's a, it's a house in the in the Hollywood Hills, and he's got a, I think a few houses. One's like for his art, and we went to the one with his art. And we had to go to the basement. So we, you come in and it's like, you enter on the street level and then it goes, and then like, oh, you're in the basement. And you go down, and you go down these the stairs. And not just like one flight of stairs, it goes down, 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 down. And it's getting hotter as you're going lower and lower and lower. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, and he's like, please
2: excuse.
1: I have, my artwork is being moved around. If you've ever talked to Clive, client, he has uh, his veins are sticking out of his neck and he's like so intense and in the moment. And his, his, the walls were like 10 paintings deep with all those paintings because he was moving them from somewhere else or whatever. So we're just surrounded Very by cool. these massive paintings. And like, like you know, five people couldn't have painted these in a lifetime, but he did like the last week. And we're at this table in the middle of this room and then, you know, Bob shows up and Clive's there and we're just like riffing on shit. And it was God, devil, it was angels. It was like, you know, Faustian bargains. It was just total great Clive stuff and you know we're sent off to go do it and we're very excited about it and it's like a big movie and i think bob had had a lot of money at the moment and then you know of course in true weinstein fashion four weeks later it's all gone and you and you got what what, you got the other version which is teens in peril
2: well i'm curious because the one thing i was really intrigued about because it's just like it's a treatment like a You know, it's a few pages long, so it's, like, all just bullet points. The thing that piqued my interest, and I guess I'm curious, it was from also in the more expensive version, is that I guess you were kind of hinting at it with Pinhead bathing in blood to stay in the world, but in this treatment we read, he's basically, like, consuming his victims and is, like, transforming. But, you know, Mm -hmm. that's just one sentence. I was just curious if there was thought behind what he was going to end up looking like, what was changing about his
4: appearance. And I don't know if this is, we wanted to end up with a moment where he usurps a deal that he'd made. His Faustian bargain is undone because it was Gary Tonicliffe, marvelous filmmaker. He was he really broke ground in my head for what Hellraiser One was. And he's like it's a mob movie. Guy takes the money from the mob and runs, but the mobsters hmm. are the cenobites, and the and the and the the bag man, the guy who's coming to fix this, is Pinhead. And with that, you say, like, whoa, Then you can understand the framework. So to think that, well, I was you know thinking of that. Well, pinheads, you know, most of the button men are kind of in the same dark embrace with some arrangement, perhaps. So then we, what we wanted to do is see all of that undone. So a guy you could see was kind of holding a line with a greater chess game is then almost uh, emerges into our plane without anyone hunting him. And the first thing he does, now that he's seeing hair starting to come in and eyes and skin is cut himself. And for once, and we don't know how many years he's been in in service of the underworld, he can bleed his own blood. And he laughs. And it's like, ah, he pokes himself with a pin, like, this is good. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> cool. If <laughs> yeah, you have a I line know, there? I,
4: I pitched a. I remember pitching a teaser I wanted to do, like, do, like punch a Comic-Con, like, boom, was you're certain you're looking at a state-of-the-art Solaris-inspired outer space, you know, all these brilliant points of pure light. And you're hearing people beg, you're hearing people wish, you're hearing people hope, you're hearing people offer anything for a, a leg up. And as you come out, you're like, this isn't space. This is the top of his scalp. And then that's when Pinhead would rise up and he'd be like, you know, Seven billion sinners can't be wrong. <laughs> <laughs>
3: That's awesome. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. It
4: was like anything for you. <laughs>
3: I think in the treatment, it says Pinhead's appearance changes evolving into something stronger, more menacing. So was like Doug Bradley going to be back or were you guys going to, was it, did Pop want to recast Pinhead or change his appearance? No,
4: no, 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 not not anything. Because that was the other thing. You got to be careful not to bastardize an icon. So there's that. There's kind of those brilliant maneuvers like when that Friday the 13th oh. remake in 2009 came out, they changed Jason and Jason was more formidable, but they didn't change the iconography, okay. you know? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, okay, it, I think, I, you know what? It's like, I think that speaks to a studio note uh, and uh, where you, you know, where it's like, he's gotta be faster, stronger and smarter. And you're like, <laughs> yeah okay and then you really really, and now he's faster smarter and stronger (laughs) but knowing all along you know eventually they'll forget that and it'll be doug bradley and he'll just Mm -hmm. be pinhead as pinhead is supposed to be because you know yeah that's i think that's what that is (laughs) because there's some stuff like that when we'll get to it in um in halloween uh returns Mm -hmm. it was like he needs to know karate. And you're like, well, I uh, love karate. Um, (laughs) It's true.
3: Um, I was going to say,
2: I mean, it's funny. It's uh, one of our more recent episodes with Josh Olson on talking about when his, his almost comically brief time on Halo after flying down to New Zealand to work with Peter Jackson on it. But ultimately he views it as like, it's a positive memory because he got to hang out with Peter Jackson for a few weeks. I mean, it sounds like just getting to hang out with Clive Barker and talk Pinhead with him must have been pretty amazing.
4: Yes. Well, the understand, like, he's adapting his paintings. And he's also adapting his words. And, you know, the word only hints at the grandeur of the painting. And then the movie budget's always kind of like the, like, all right, kids, this is the budget. And then you see how the, the glimmers and the hopes and whatnot can come out. But nowadays, you can create that. I think there are there are methods to do so, and and hopefully the appetite. It'll always be uh, dictated by the appetite.
1: Yeah, I, I liked him quite a bit because he, he he was, you know, sometimes it's like the you old know, what the say? never meet your um, idols. Idols. He was he lived up to it. He just he was such a nice, welcoming, charming yeah. like personal guy that he like from it, the second you show up, he's just so into it. And, and got and he would just riff off stuff,
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know, anything. And cause we, we, we had Hellraiser with him. And then we also sold, we sold a TV show that was based on his idea to um, ABC and it didn't get made. <laughs> What's the <laughs> um, quick
2: picture pitch on that one?
1: It it was, um it was essentially Barker's the uh, hotel. That was yeah, the name. of it. It's called Clyde Barker's Hotel. So it was like, you know, it was a, uh, you know, it was like the Overlook Hotel meets some um, fancy, Fancy Island.
2: So it was a little bit of a. Was a kind of like Fantasy Island? It was almost like an anthology, but had recurring yeah. staff yeah. on every yeah. episode. That's cool. Yeah,
1: yeah, and but it, again, it was one of those things where um, everyone recognized that this is. It was kind of right before. American Horror Story and stuff like that really took off, and horror really found its 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 footing in TV, and um, and so it was uh, it, it was it was bought very quickly, very excited, a lot of money against it, and we wrote it and then turned it in, and uh, the president of ABC at the time was like, "Where am I supposed to put this?" And it ended like that. Yep. you know, because it, it was ABC, so like Desperate Housewives and Survivor. Or no, that's, that's, what was the one? They had Bachelor, the Bachelor ABC. Yeah. And it's like, and they it, as quickly as that, because he's, you know, for TV, when you're doing the network TV, it's right, they have like 100 projects or whatever it is they're looking at, and we're supposed to put Clive Barker's hotel.
4: Yeah, because it, and it was neat. You could, it demystified that process of so you see a network's entire week of programming and there's a smooth rhythm to it. And there was nothing in the abc family network yeah. programming that would say like you want to yeah. see a cupid statue come to life threaten to rip your face off unless you can find <laughs> out who these guys are the potential lover so you better yeah. beat every man to death until they fall apart revealing they're actually a statue yeah and <laughs> Only it, it. It, it, it's a bummer because
1: like yeah. you know like everything it 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 could could have been, if we were at a different network or at a different time, maybe it works, but it just, at that moment, just quickly died.
2: And we are going to pause the conversation right there and pick things up in part two of our conversation with Marcus Dunstan and Patrick Melton. If you would like to follow us on social media, you can find us at Best Movies Never Made on Instagram and Never Made Film on Twitter. We post a lot of concept art and script pages and photos from all the projects we talk about. I also recommend you get the Electric Now app, which is a free app that allows you to watch movies and TV shows and, more importantly, videos of our podcast and our sister podcasts like... Uh, The 430 Movie, Rebel and the Rogue, Glorious Trexperts, all the Electric Surge podcasts. Special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone at the Podcast Network, including our producers, Mark Altman and Dean Devlin. Until next time, this is Josh Miller and Steven Scarlatta saying, we won't see you at the movies.